the other half of your dual nature may then be as sensitive, enthusiastic, and partisan, as you like, only it will not drag those traits out into the workaday world. It distinctly will not be allowed, by the cherishing elderly side, to run the risk of being made miserable by trying to cope emotionally with situations which call only for reason, or of looking ludicrous to the uni-indulgent observer. The transparent barrier. The first advantage that will be gained by your innocent duplicity is that you will have erected a transparent barrier between you and the world, behind which you can grow into your artistic maturity at your own pace. The average person writes just too much and not quite enough to have any great opinion of an author's life. It is unfortunate, but the unimaginative citizen finds something exquisitely funny about the idea that one aspires to make a name and a living by any such process as stringing words together. He finds it presumptuous when an acquaintance announces that he has elected to give the world his 50 becoming a writer, opinion in writing, and punishes the present shine by merciless teasing. If you feel called upon to correct this unimaginative attitude you will have opportunities enough to keep you busy for a lifetime, but you will not M-dash, unless you have an extraordinary amount of energy M-dash have much strength left for writing. The same plain man reacts as impulsively and naively to the successful writer. He is awestruck in his presence, but he is also very uncomfortable. Nothing but witchcraft, he seems to believe, could have made another human being so wise in the ways of his kind. He will turn self-conscious, and act either untypically or refuse to act at all, and if you alarm him you will find yourself barred from one source of your material. This is a low piece of advice to give, but I give it without apology, keep still about your intentions, or you will startle your quarry. Keep your own counsel. Then, too, the writer is at a disadvantage shared by no novice of the other arts. He does use the medium of ordinary conversation, of friendly letters and business letters, when he exercises his profession, and he has no impressive paraphernalia to impose respect on the layman. Now that everyone has his portable typewriter, not even that badge of his profession is left to the young. The Advantages of Duplicity 51 Writer A musical instrument, canvas, clay, carry their own persuasiveness by seeming exotic to the uninitiated. Even a good singing voice does not issue from every throat. Until your name has been in print again and again you may get only teasing for your pains, if you prematurely announce your allegiance to writing. At that, most young writers would benefit by taking a leaf from the practitioners of other arts. The violinist does not carry around his violin, the artist does not carry his palette and brushes, unless he is intending to use them, either privately or before a well-disposed audience. Give yourself the advantage of the same discretion, at least, while you are finding your feet. One excellent psychological reason for an offer to keep his profession to himself is that, if you confess so much you are likely to go further and talk of the things you mean to write. Now words are your medium, and effective use of them your profession, but your unconscious self which is your wishful part will not care whether the words you use are written down or talked to the world at large. If you are for the moment fortunate enough to have a responsive audience you often suffer for it later. You will have created your story and reaped your reward in approval or shocked disapproval, in either case you will have hit your mark. Afterward you will find yourself disinclined to go on with the laborious process of writing that story at full length, unconsciously. 52 Becoming a Writer You will consider it, as already done, a twice-told tale. 
If you can conquer the disinclination to write you may still find that a slightly flat, uninterested note creeps in, in spite of you. So practice a wise taciturnity. When you have completed a fair first draft you can, if you like, offer it for criticism and advice, but to talk too early is a grave mistake. There are other advantages in considering yourself a two-in-one character. It should not be your sensitive, temperamental self which bears the burden of your relations with the outside world of editors, teachers, or friends. Send your practical self out into the world to receive sub's shines, criticisms, or rejections, by all means see to it that it is your prosaic self which reads rejection slips. Criticism and rejection are not personal insults, but your artistic component will not know that. It will quiver and wince and run to cover, and you will have trouble in luring it out again to observe and weave tales and find words for all the thousand shades of feeling that go to make up a story. Your best friend and severest critic. For another thing, your writing self is an instinctive, emotional creature, and if you are not. The advantages of duplicity 53. Careful you will find yourself living the life that will give you the least annoyance and the greatest ease instead of a life that will continually feed and stimulate your talent. The artistic temperament is usually perfectly satisfied to exercise itself in reverie and amuse itself in solitude, and only once in a long while will the impulse to write rise spontaneously to the surface. If you leave it to the more sensitive side of your nature to set the conditions of work and living, for you, you may find yourself at the end of your days with very little to show for the gift you were born with. A far better idea is to realize from the start that you are subject to certain caprices of action, and to study yourself objectively, until you find which of your impulses are sound and which are likely to lead you into the bogs of inertia and silence. At first you will find it a great bore to be forever examining yourself for tendencies and habits, later you will find it second nature. Still later you will come to enjoy it rather too much, and the same critical attention will have to be given to the task of turning your scrutiny away from your own processes, when your analysis has passed the stage where it bears beneficial fruits. In short, you will have to learn to be your own best friend and severest critic m-mature, indulgent, stern and yielding by turns. 54 Becoming a Writer The Right Recreation Observe, though, that you are to be your own best friend m-not simply your stern and disciplinary elder. No one else will be in a position to discover, for you what is best in the way of stimuli shine, amusement, and friends. Perhaps music, however little you know about music, may have the effect of starting up the obscure internal processes which send you to the typewriter. In that case it will be the task of your elder self to find and purvey music to you and to see that you are not put on the defensive when you are questioned about your astonishing taste for symphony orchestras or negro spirituals. You will find, too, that some friends are excellent, for you, as a writer who are worthless to you otherwise m-and vice versa. Too stimulating a social life can be as hard on a budding talent as none at all. Only observe a shine will show you the effect of any group or person on you as a writer. Seeing a dull soul whom you doggedly adore, or a brilliant friend who irritates you, may have to be treated as a very special form of indulgence, to be yielded to only rarely. If you feel, after an evening with the stolid friend, that the world is a dry and dusty place, or, if you are exasperated to the point of speechlessness by your brilliant acquaintance, not the warmest emotion. The Advantages of Duplicity 55 
for them will justify your seeing much of them, while you are trying to learn to write. You will have to find other acquaintances, persons who, for some mysterious reason, leave you full of energy, feed you with ideas, or, more obscurely still, have the effect of filling you with self-confidence and eagerness to write. Friends and Books If you are not fortunate enough to find them m-well, you will discover fairish substitutes on library shelves, and occasionally in the strangest guises. I had a pupil who battened on medical case reports, and another who recorded at a few hours with a popular scientific monthly, which she could hardly understand in spite of its being insultingly elementary, induced in her such a feeling of being blooded with neat, hard little facts that she ran off to retrieve the balance by a debauch of imaginative writing. I know a popular author who abhors the works of John Galsworthy, but something in Galsworthy's rhythm starts up his own desire to write, he outlegs that after a few pages of the Foresight Saga he can hear an internal hum which soon turns into sentences and paragraphs, on the other hand. 56 Becoming a Writer Wodehouse, whom he considers a past master of modern humorous writing, plunges him into such depths of despond about his own performance that he takes care not to read the latest Wodehouse book, until he has finished whatever he has in hand. Watch for a while, and see which authors are your meat and which your poison. When the actual writing is to be done, your elder self must stand aside, only murmuring a suggestion now and again on such matters as your tendency to use repetitions, or to suggest that you are being too verbose, or that the dialogue is getting out of hand. Later you will call on it to consider the completed draft, or section, and with its help you will alter the manuscript to get the best possible effects. But at the time of writing, nothing is more confusing than to have the alert, critical, over-scrupulous rational faculty at the forefront of your mind. The tormenting doubts of one's own ability, the self-conscious muteness that drops like a pall over the best story ideas come from consulting the judge in oneself at the moment, when it is the storyteller's turn to be in the ascendant. It is not easy at first to inhibit the running verdicts on every sentence, almost every word, that is written, but once the flow of the story has well set in, the critical faculty will be content to wait its turn. The Advantages of Duplicity 57 The Arrogant Intellect There is no arrogance like that of the intellect, and one of the dangers, as we have said, of studying the technique of story writing too solemnly is that the reason is confirmed in its delusion of being the more important member of the writing team. It is not. Its duties are indispensable but secondary, they come before and after the period of intensive writing. You will find that, if you cannot reign in your intellect during this period it will be forever offering pseudo-solutions to you, tampering with motives, making the characters literary which is often to make them stereotyped and unnatural, or protesting that the story which seemed so promising when it first dawned in your consciousness is really trite or implausible. The two selves not at war. But now I am in danger of making it seem that these two halves of the writing personality are at war with each other, when it is the exact contrary that is true. When each has found its place, when each is performing the functions which are proper to it, they play endlessly back. 58 Becoming a Writer And forth into each other's hands, strengthening, inciting, relieving each other in such a way that the resulting personality, the integral character, is made more balanced, mellow, energetic, and profound. It is precisely when they are at war that we get the unhappy artist M-the artist who is working against the grain, or against his sober judgment, or, saddest of all, is unable to work. 
The most enviable writers are those who, quite often and analytically and unconsciously, have realized that there are different facets to their nature and are able to live and work with now one, now another, in the ascendant. The first exercise. Now we come to the first exercise of a book which will be full of exercises. Its purpose is to show you how simple it is to see oneself objectively. You are near a door. When you come to the end of this chapter put the book aside, get up, and go through that door. From the moment you stand on the threshold turn yourself into your own object of attention. What do you look like, standing there? How do you walk? What, if you knew nothing about yourself, could be gathered of you, your character, your background, your purpose just? The Advantages of Duplicity 59 There at just that minute. If there are people in the room whom you must greet, how do you greet them? How do your attitudes to them vary? Do you give any overt sign that you are fonder of one, or more aware of one, than of the rest? There is no deep, dark, esoteric purpose behind this exercise. It is a primer lesson in considering oneself objectively, and should be dismissed from your mind, when you have learned what you can from it. Another time try sitting at ease and m-using no gestures at all m-tell yourself step by step how you comb your hair. You will find it harder than you think. Again, follow yourself at any small routine task. A little later take an episode of the day before, see yourself going up to it and coming away from it, and the episode itself, as it might have looked to a stranger. At still another time think how you might have looked if you could follow yourself all day long from a little height. Use the fiction maker's eye on yourself to see how you would have appeared when you went in and out of houses, up streets and into stores, and back home at the end of the day. For Interlude on Taking Advice With the best of intentions, we usually go about the formation of a new habit or the eradication of an old one in the manner most calculated to defeat our purpose. Whenever you come across a piece of advice in these pages I exhort you not to straighten your spine, grit your teeth, clench your fists, and go at the experiments with the light of do or die on your countenance. Save your energy we customarily expend enough energy in carrying out any simple action to bring about a 61. 62 Becoming a writer. Results three times greater than the one we have in view. This is true from the simplest matters to the most complex and of physical effort as well as mental. If we climb stairs, we climb them with every muscle and organ laboring, as though our soul's salvation were to be found on the top step, and the result is that we grow resentful at the disproportionate returns we receive from our expended energy. Or, putting a great deal more energy out than we can use, we must take it up, somehow, in purposeless motion. Everyone has had the experience of pushing a door that looked closed with more vigor than was necessary and of falling into the next room as a consequence. Or we have picked up some light object which looked deceptively heavy. If you notice yourself on such an occasion, you will see that you must make a slight backward motion merely to retrieve your balance. Imagination versus will in changing habits. In mental effort we are likely to go still more widely astray from some childish notion that it is laudable to exert that slow, dead heave of the will, as often as possible. But in changing habits, you will find yourself getting your results far. Interlude, on taking advice 63. More quickly and with less backwash, if you engage your imagination in the process instead of calling out the biggest gun of your character equipment first. This is not a plea to abandon the will. 
There will be times and occasions when only the whole weight of the will brought to bear on the matter in hand will prove effective. But the imagination plays a far greater role in our lives than we customarily acknowledge, although any teacher can tell you how great an advocate the imagination is when a child is to be led into a changed course. Displacing old habits. Old habits are strong and jealous. They will not be displaced easily, if they get any warning that such plans are afoot, they will fight for their existence with subtlety and persuasiveness. If they are too radically attacked they will revenge themselves, you will find, after a day or two of extraordinarily virtuous effort, all sorts of reasons, why the new method is not good, for you, why you should alter it in line with this or that old habit, or actually abandon it entirely. In the end you will have had no good from the new advice, but you will almost certainly feel that you have given it a fair trial and that it has failed. Your mistake will 64 Becoming a writer Have been that you tired yourself out and exhausted your good intentions before you had a chance to see whether or not the program was the right one for you. This is a very simple but rather spectacular experiment which you can make that will teach you more about your own processes of putting an idea into operation than pages of exhortation and explanation. It is this. A demonstration draw a circle on a sheet of paper, using the bottom of a tumbler or something of that circumference as the guide, then make a cross through it. Tie a heavy ring or a key on a string about 4 inches long. Hold the end of the string with the ring hanging like the weight of a pendulum over the intersection of the cross, about an inch above the paper. Now think around the circle, following the circumference with your eyes and ignoring the ring and cord entirely. After a few moments the little pendulum will begin to swing around in the direction you have chosen, at first making a very small circle, but steadily widening out, as it goes on. Then reverse the direction in thought only and follow the circle with your eyes in the other direction. Point. 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 Now. Interlude, on taking advice 65. Think up and down the perpendicular line, when that succeeds, shift to the horizontal. In each case the ring will stop for a moment and then begin to move in the direction of your thinking. If you have not tried this experiment, before you may feel, that there is something uncanny about the result. There isn't. It is simply the neatest and easiest way of showing how imper. 66 Becoming a Writer Tant imagination can be in the sphere of action. Minute involuntary muscles take up the task, for you. The will, you see, was hardly involved in the matter at all. And this, some French psychologists say, is the way to observe, in miniature, a faith cure in operation. At the least, it should demonstrate that it is not necessary to brace every nerve and muscle to bring about a change in your daily life. The right frame of mind. So, then, in doing the exercises in this book, turn yourself gently, in a relaxed and pleasant frame of mind, in the direction you want to go. See yourself, for a few minutes, doing the recommended experiment. After you have had a few successes by this method, you will find that it is capable of infinite extension. Consider that all the minor inconveniences and interruptions of habits are to the end of making a full and effective life for yourself. Forget or ignore for a while all the difficulties you have let yourself dwell upon too often, refuse to consider, in your period of training, the possibility of failure. You are not at this stage of your career in any position to estimate your chances justly. Things which look difficult or are impossible to you now will be seen in truer perspective. Interlude, on taking advice 67. Tithe, when you have gone a little further. 
later you can take an inventory of yourself from time to time, see what is easy, for you and what you do badly or imperfectly. You can consider then what steps to take to correct these definite faults, and by that time you will be able to work on yourself profitably, without discouragement or bravado. 5. Harnessing the unconscious. To begin with, you must teach the unconscious to flow into the channel of writing. Psychologists will forgive us for speaking so early about teaching the unconscious to do this or that. To all intents and purposes that is what happens, but less elegantly and more exactly we might say that the first step toward being a writer is to hitch your unconscious mind to your writing arm. Wordless daydreams most persons who are attracted by the idea of fiction at all are, or were in childhood, great. 69. 70. Becoming a writer. Dreamers. At almost any moment they can catch themselves, at some level, deep in reverie. Occasionally this reverie takes the form of recasting one's life, day by day or moment by moment, into a form somewhat nearer to the heart's desire, reconstructing conversations and arguments, so that we come out with colors flying and epigrams falling around us like sparks, or imagining ourselves back in a simpler and happier period. Or adventure is coming toward us around the next corner, and we have already made up our minds as to the form it will take. All those naive and satisfying dreams of which we are the unashamed heroes or heroines are the very stuff of fiction, almost the materia prima of fiction. A little sophistication, a little experience, and we realize that we are not going to be allowed to carry off the honors in real life without a struggle, there are too many contenders for the role of leading lady or leading man. So, learning discretion and guile, we cast the matter a little differently, we objectify the ideal self that has caused us so much pleasure and write about him in the third person. And hundreds of our fellows, engaged secretly in just such daydreaming as our own, see themselves in our fictional characters and fall to reading when fatigue or disenchantment robs them of their ability to see themselves under any glamorous guise. Not, thank heaven, that this is the only Rhea. Harnessing the Unconscious 71. Son a book is ever read, but undoubtedly it is the commonest one. The little bronze, with their kingdom of Gondoland, the infant Alcats, young Robert Browning, and H.G. Wells all led an intensive dream life which carried over into their maturity and took another form, and there are hundreds of authors who could tell the same stories of their youth. But there are probably thousands more who never grow up as writers. They are too self-conscious too humble, or too solidly set in the habit of dreaming idly. After all, we begin our storytelling, usually, long, before we are able to print simple words with infinite labor. It is little wonder that the glib unconscious should balk at the drudgery of committing its stories to writing. Toward effortless writing writing calls on unused muscles and involves solitude and immobility. There is not much to be said for the recommendation, so often heard to serve an apprenticeship to journalism, if you intend to write fiction. But a journalist's career does teach two lessons which every writer needs to learn m-that it is possible to write for long periods without fatigue, and that, if one pushes on past the first weariness one finds a reservoir of. 72 Becoming a Writer Unsuspected energy m-1 reaches the famous second wind. The typewriter has made the author's way more rocky than it was in the old days of quill and pen. However convenient the machine may be, there is no doubt about the muscular strain involved in typewriting, let any offer tell you of rising stiff and aching from a long session. Moreover, 
There is the distraction set up by the lip-like ladder of ease, and there is the strain of seeing the shafts continually dancing against the platen. But it is possible to make either typing or writing by hand second nature, so that muscular strain will not slow you down or keep you from writing. So, if you are to have the full benefit of the richness of the unconscious you must learn to write easily and smoothly, when the unconscious is in the ascendant. The best way to do this is to rise half an hour, or a full hour, earlier than you customarily rise. Just as soon as you can m dash and without talking, without reading the morning's paper, without picking up the book you laid aside the night before m dash begin to write. Write anything that comes into your head, last night's dream, if you are able to remember it, the activities of the day before, a conversation, real or imaginary, an examination of conscience. Write any sort of early morning reverie, rapidly and uncritically. The excellence or ultimate worth of what you write is of no importance yet. As a mat. Harnessing the unconscious 73. Tur of fact, you will find more value in this material than you expect, but your primary purpose now is not to bring forth deathless words, but to write any words at all which are not pure nonsense. To reiterate, what you are actually doing is training yourself, in the twilight zone between sleep and the full waking state, simply to write. It makes no difference to the success of this practice, if your paragraphs are amorphous, the thought vague or extravagant, the idea is hazy. Forget that you have any critical faculty at all, realize that no one need ever see what you are writing, unless you choose to show it. You may, if you can, write in a notebook, sitting up in bed. If you can teach yourself to use the typewriter in this period, so much the better. Write as long as you have free time, or, until you feel, that you have utterly written yourself out. The next morning begin without rereading what you have already done. Remember, you are to write, before you have read at all. The purpose of this injunction will become clear later. Now all you need to concern yourself with is the mere performance of the exercise. Double your output. After a day or two you will find that there is a certain number of words that you can write easily. 74 Becoming a Writer. And without strain. When you have found that limit, begin to push it ahead by a few sentences, then by a paragraph or two. A little later try to double it, before you stop the morning's work. Within a very short time you will find that the exercise has begun to bear fruit. The actual labor of writing no longer seems arduous or dull. You will have begun to feel that you can get as much, far more really, from a written reverie, as from one that goes on almost wordlessly in the back of your mind. When you can wake, reach out for your pencil, and begin to write almost on one impulse, you will be ready for the next step. Keep the material you have written m-dash under lock and key, if that is the only way to save yourself from self-consciousness. It will have uses you can hardly foresee. As you take up the next exercise, you can return, in this morning task, to the limit that seems easy and natural. But you should be able to write more words, than when you began. Watch yourself carefully, if at any time you find you have slipped back into inactive reverie, it is time to exert pressure on yourself. Throughout your written life, whenever you are in danger of the spiritual drought that comes to the most facile writer from time to time, Put the pencil and paper back on your bedside table, and wait to write in the morning. 6. Writing on schedule. At once, when you have put the suggestion in the last chapter into operation, you will find that you are more truly a writer than you ever were before. 
you will discover that now you have a tendency to cast the day's experiences into words, to foresee the use that you will make of an anecdote or episode that has come your way, to transform the rough material of life into fictional shape, more consistently than you did when writing was a sporadic, capricious occupation which broke out from time to time unaccountably, or was undertaken only, when you felt that you had a story firmly within your grasp. The moment you reach that stage, you are 75. 76 Becoming a Writer. Ready for the next step, which is to teach yourself to write at a given moment. The best way to do it is this. Engaging to write. After you have dressed, sit down for a moment by yourself and go over the day before you. Usually you can tell accurately enough what its demands and opportunities will be, roughly, at least, you can sketch out for yourself enough of your program to know when you will have a few moments to yourself. It need not be a very long time, 15 minutes will do nicely, and there is almost no wage slave so driven that he cannot snatch a quarter of an hour from a busy day, if he is in earnest about it. Decide for yourself when you will take that time for writing, for you are going to write in it. If your work falls off, let us say, after 3.30 in the afternoon, the 15 minutes from 4 o'clock until quarter past 4 can safely be drafted, as time of your own. Well, then, at 4 o'clock you are going to write, come what may, and you are going to continue until the quarter hour sounds. When you have made up your mind to that you are free to do whatever you like to do or must do. Writing on Schedule 77. A debt of honor. Now this is very important, and can hardly be emphasized too strongly. You have decided to write at 4 o'clock, and at 4 o'clock write you must. No excuses can be given. If at 4 o'clock you find yourself deep in conversation, you must excuse yourself and keep your engagement. Your agreement is a debt of honor, and must be scrupulously discharged. You have given yourself your word and there is no retracting it. If you must climb out over the heads of your friends at that hour, then be ruthless. Another time you will find that you have taken some pains not to be caught in a dilemma of the sort. If to get the solitude that is necessary you must go into a washroom, go there, lean against the wall, and write. Write, as you write in the morning and dash anything at all. Write sense or nonsense, limericks or blank verse, write what you think of your employer or your secretary or your teacher, write a story synopsis or a fragment of dialogue, or the description of someone you have recently noticed. However halting or perfunctory the writing is, write. If you must, you can write, I am finding this exercise remarkably difficult, and say what you think are the reasons for the difficulty. Vary the complaint from day to day till it no longer represents the true state of affairs. 78 Becoming a Writer Extending the Exercise For you are going to do this from day to day, but each time you are to choose a different hour. Try 11 o'clock, or a moment or two before or after lunch. Another time. Promise yourself to write for 15 minutes, before you start for home in the evening or 15 minutes, before you dine. The important thing is that at the moment, on the dot of the moment, you are to be writing, and that you teach yourself that no excuse of any nature can be offered, when the moment comes. While you are merely reading this recommendation you may be quite unable to see, why it is put so emphatically. As you begin to put it into practice you will understand. There is a deep inner resistance to writing which is more likely to emerge at this point than in the earlier exercise. 
This will begin to look like business to the unconscious, and the unconscious does not like these rules and regulations, until it is well broken into them, it is incorrigibly lazy in its busyness and given to finding the easiest way of satisfying itself. It prefers to choose its own occasions and to emerge, as it likes. You will find the most remarkable series of obstacles presented to you under the similitude of common sense, surely it will be, just as satisfactory to write from 405 to 420. If you break out of a circle you are likely to be cross. Writing on Schedule 79. Questioned, so why not wait till the circle breaks up by itself and then take your 15 minutes? In the morning you could hardly foresee that you were going to work yourself into a headache that day. Can work done under the handicap of a headache possibly be fit to do? And so on and on. But you must learn to disregard every loophole the wily unconscious points out to you. If you consistently, doggedly, refuse to be beguiled, you will have your reward. The unconscious will suddenly give in charmingly, and begin to write gracefully and well. Succeed, or stop writing. Right here I should like to sound the sole unnest word of warning that you will find in this book, if you fail repeatedly at this exercise, give up writing. Your resistance is actually greater than your desire to write, and you may as well find some other outlet for your energy early as late. These two strange and arbitrary performances m-early morning writing, and writing by prearrangement m-should be kept up till you write fluently at will. 7. The First Survey when you have succeeded in establishing these two habits m-early morning writing and writing by agreement with yourself m-you have come a long way on the writer's path. You have gained, on the one hand, fluency, and on the other control, even though in an elementary way. You know a great deal more about yourself, in all likelihood, than you did, when you embarked on the exercises. For one thing, you know, whether it was easier to teach yourself to write on and on, or, whether writing by prearrangement seemed more natural. Perhaps for the first time you see, that, if you want to write you can write, and that no life is actually so busy as to offer no opportunities, if you. 81. 82. Becoming a writer. Are alert to find them. Then, too, you should begin to think it less than miraculous that writers can bring out book after book having found in yourself the same inexhaustible resources that issue in the work of others. The physical mechanism of writing should have ceased to be tiring and begun to take its place as a simple activity. Your real is a shine of the writer's life is probably more vivid, and nearer to the truth, than it was before M-which is in itself a long stride to have taken. Now it is time to consider yourself and your problems objectively again, and if you have followed the exercises well you should have plenty of material for an illuminating first survey. Reading your work critically. Up to this point it is best to resist the temp to shine to reread your productions. While you are training yourself into facility in writing and teaching yourself to start writing whenever and wherever opportunity offers, the less you turn a critical eye upon your own material the better m-even for a cursory survey. The excellence or triteness of your writing was not the matter under consideration. But now, turning back to see what it may reveal under a dispassionate survey, you may find those outpourings very enlightening. The First Survey 83. The Pitfalls of Imitation. You will remember, that one of the conditions set was that you should not have read one word before beginning the morning's task, nor, if at all possible, so much, as spoken, until you have finished. This is the reason. 
We all live, so surrounded by words that it is difficult for us to discover, without long experience, what our own rhythms are, and what subjects do really appeal to us. Those who are sensitive enough to want ardently to become writers are usually a little too suggestible for their own good. Consciously or not, they may have fallen into the temptation of imitating an established author. It may be a genuine master of writing, it may be, and too often is, the author whose work is having the greatest vogue at the moment. No one who has not taught fiction writing can believe how often a pupil will say some such thing, as, oh, I've just thought of the most marvelous Faulkner story. Or, more ambitiously, I think I can make a regular Virginia Woolf out of it. The teacher who crassly says she would rather see a good story of the pupil's own is damned for a prig, or outspokenly argued with, for the notion that playing the sedulous ape to the extent of copying not only the prose style but the very philosophies and narrative forms of current popular authors seems to. 84 Becoming a Writer have been so inculcated in our apprentice writers that they genuinely believe they will become original authors by the process of imitation. The men and women who have served as their models, since they are writing from a strong native talent and according to their own personal tastes, grow, alter, change their styles and their formulas, and the poor sedulous apes are left imitating the work of an outmoded period. Discovering Your Strength The best way to escape the temptation to imitate is to discover as early as possible one's own tastes and excellences. Here, in the sheaf of pages you have written during this period of habit-making, is priceless laboratory material, for you. What, on the whole, do you write, when you set down the first things that occur to you? Try to read, now, as though you had the work of a stranger in your hands, and to discover there what the tastes and talents of this alien writer may be. Put aside every preconception about your work. Try to forget any ambitions or hopes or fears you may have entertained, and see what you would decide was the best field for this stranger, if he were to consult you. The repetitions, the recurrent ideas, the frequent prose forms in these pages. The first survey 85. Will give you your clues. They will show you where your native gift lies, whether or not you eventually decide to specialize in it. There is no reason to believe that you can write only one type of work, that you may not be fully as successful in some other line, but this examination will show you where your richest and most easily tapped vein lies. In my experience, the pupil who sets down the night's dream, or recasts the day before into ideal form, who takes the morning hour to write a complete anecdote or a passage of sharp dialogue, is likely to be the short story writer in embryo. Certain types of character sketching, when it is brief and concerned with rather general, or even obvious, traits, point the same way. A subtler analysis of characters, a consideration of motives, acute self-examination, as distinct from romanticizing one's actions, the contrasting of different characters faced by the same dilemma, most often indicate the novelist. A kind of musing introspection or of speculation only sketched in is found in the essay writer's notebook, although with a grain of drama added, and with the particularizing of an abstract speculation by assigning the various elements of the problem to characters who act out the idea, there is promise of the more meditative type of novelist. When this stage of instruction is reached. 86 Becoming a Writer. There is often in my classes a burst of highly stimulating activity. Seeing the possibilities in the writing which they now feel came almost without effort, the pupils frequently branch into some type of work which they look on simply as recreation, 
and hammer away on their more difficult problems in their working time. These spontaneous manuscripts are usually very interesting, and often, with some shaping, can be turned into satisfactory finished work. They are a little rambling, a little discursive, but they have a fresh, unforced tone which is striking. About this time you will find that your work is already less patchy and uneven, you are striking your own stride and finding your own rhythm, as well as discovering which subjects have a perennial interest, for you. A footnote for teachers. Here I should like to add a footnote for other teachers, rather than for students of writing. I think that holding up the work of each pupil in class for the criticism of the others is a thoroughly pernicious practice, and it does not become harmless simply by allowing the manuscript to be read without assigning its authorship publicly. The first survey 87. The ordeal is to trying to be taken with equanimity, and a sensitive writer can be thrown out of his stride deplorably by it, whether or not the criticism is favorable. It is seldom that the criticism is favorable, when a beginner is judged by the jury of his peers. They seem to need to demonstrate that, although they are not yet writing quite perfectly themselves, they are able to see all the flaws in a story which is read to them, and they fall upon it tooth and fang. Until self-confidence arises naturally, and the pupil asks for group criticism, his work should be treated as utterly confidential by the teacher. Each will have his own rate of growth and it can only go on steadily, if not endangered by the setbacks that come from embarrassment and self-consciousness. I recommend an almost inhuman taciturnity to my students, at least about work that is being done at the moment. There have been weeks when I have had nothing at all from the best workers in the class, only to have three or four full-length manuscripts from a single pupil at the end of the silent period. Beyond stipulating that each pupil must follow the exercises, as they are given out, whether or not I see the material which is written from day to day, I assign no tasks. 8. The critic at work on himself. Now, we will suppose, you have a kind of rough preliminary idea of yourself as a writer. It will be a very rough idea, still distorted by humility in some directions and overconfidence in others, but at least it will bear enough resemblance to your ultimate professional self to be worth working on. Even in this unfinished state you will realize that there are definite things which you can do for yourself that will improve the quality of your writing, provide you with occasions for writing, or stimulate you, so that writing will follow naturally. It is time now to call on your prosaic side. 89. 90 Becoming a Writer. For the services it can render you. As a matter of fact, it will already have been called on to read the material and find yourself revealed tastes, but that was only preliminary. There are a hundred things it can do for you as soon as you have given it this much material to work on. If it is called in too soon, though, it hampers you more than it helps. Here you are then, with all these pages and notebooks to be examined by your common sense, everyday character. By the cursory examination recommended in the last chapter you have already found the more obvious trends in your own work. Now it is time to be more specific, and to examine in detail what you have done. Your workaday self has been standing aside, while you were about the business of teaching your unconscious to flow, whenever you could find a moment for it, you will find, now that it has been closely following the process, remarking your successes and failures, and getting ready with suggestions. A Critical Dialogue
The next few paragraphs are much more naive and more outrageously dual than any dialogue you will ever have with yourself, but some such interchange, as this between the sides of your nature should now take place, do you know, I find that you write dialogue. The critic at work on himself 91. Very well, you evidently have a good ear. But your passages of description aren't well done. They're stilted. Here the culprit will probably murmur something about liking to write dialogue, but feeling silly when describing anything without the protection of quotation marks. Of course you love to write dialogue, you must return, just, because you do it well. But don't you realize that, if you can't do straight passages and transitions smoothly you're going to get a jerky story? You'd better make up your mind, I should say, whether you want to write fiction or to specialize in playwriting. Either way, you've got a lot of work to do. Which should you say? That's almost, as much in your department, as mine. Well, fiction, on the whole. You don't show much interest yet in dramatic and spectacular effects, or in building up to a visually effective climax. You unfold a character slowly and by means of dialogue. If you had all the time and paper in the world you could undoubtedly get to your point by using dialogue alone, but, you see, you have space and effectiveness to consider. You'll have to do some of it in straight narrative form. No, all in all, I think we'd better work on your weak spots. You might read a lot of E.M. Forster in your spare time. He gets from point to point remarkably well. In the meanwhile, here's a 92 becoming a writer passage for you to meditate upon. It's from Edith Warden's The Writing of Fiction. The use of dialogue in fiction seems to be one of the few things about which a fairly definite rule may be laid down. It should be reserved for the culminating moments, and regarded as the spray into which the great wave of narrative breaks in curving toward the water on the shore. This lifting and scattering of the wave, the coruscation of the spray, even the mere material sight of the page broken into short, uneven paragraphs, all help to reinforce the contrast between such climaxes and the smooth effaced gliding of the narrative intervals, and the contrast enhances that sense of the passage of time for the producing of which the writer has to depend on his intervening narration. Thus the sparing use of dialogue not only serves to emphasize the crises of a tale, but to give it as a whole a greater effect of continuous development. Quote. Or the exhortation may take the form of remarking a minor stylistic matter, and you will address yourself on it. By the way, do you realize that you overwork the word colorful? Every time you're in too much of a hurry to find the exact word you want you fall back on that, you're using it to death. Very sloppy habit. In the first place. The critic at work on himself 93. It's, usually, too vaguely inclusive to give the effect you want, and in the second, it is being used by all the advertising writers in the country just now. Stay away from it for a while. Be specific in suggestions. Although you may not be quite so direct as this in your discourse, still you are advised to address yourself directly on these points, making the complaints specific, and, wherever possible, suggesting specific remedies. You will remember more easily, and you will have reinforced your own discontent with this or that element in your writing in such a way that you must take steps to correct the slipshod practice or confess that you are not working seriously at the profession you have chosen. Make a clean-cut issue for yourself, wherever you are able to put your finger on a fault, if you suspect that there are weaknesses which you do not see for some reason, show your work to someone whose good taste and judgment you trust. 
you will often find that a reader who has no pretensions to literary knowledge can put a finger on your stylistic sins as directly as a writer, an editor, or a teacher, but turn to outside counsel only, after you have done all you are able to do for yourself. In the long run, it is your taste. 94. Becoming a writer. And your judgment that must carry you over the pitfalls, and the sooner you educate yourself into being all things to your writing character the better your prospects are.